Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Shamat Garsandu from Toronto in Canada, and ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to two very hyped up, very excited, very amped uh, Brits right now because things have worked out quite nicely for me over the past week. Things are starting to work out quite nicely for Mr. Sandu in the next few weeks, and uh, it's all gradually starting to come together. The pandemic, we're kind of putting it behind us, and we are starting to get back out there into the big wide world. It is good times indeed for the Brit Pack. Sandu, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy. We'll touch on why I'm happy later on uh, when we preview one of the big events uh, this upcoming week. But I think it's all about you, Simon. You know, I think just to kick things off this week, just talking about being back on the road, being back on site for Bellator's event in London at the SSE Arena. The UFC were thinking about coming to London at the O2 with a show. They didn't pull the trigger on that, uh, but, I'll, but Bellator have, and they've got an event coming up in Dublin as well. So I'd love to hear your experience. You know, I think it's been a good minute, you know, what, a year and a half, two years since you've been on site at an event and also working with our good friend, Abby, but also, I guess, seeing the rest of the media, seeing the PR folk and, and obviously, inter- you know, um, you know, basically it's being around and uh, interacting with all the fighters and all the other personalities during fight week and fight night. Give me the lowdown. What happened? How was it? It was to start off with, it was quite weird. Um, I hadn't been on a train in two years. I hadn't been in London for two years. So just the experience of getting on a train and going into London was a little bit anxiety inducing. If I'm honest with you, I hadn't done it in so long. Obviously there's been a pandemic since then and it was all a little bit weird, but once I'd actually got, through that that process and got into london on the monday myself and abby got on a london bus that was all branded up for mvp and douglas lima uh, and we interviewed them both uh one on the top deck one on the bottom deck went to the london eye went to the millennium bridge did a couple of photo shoots great way to start the week that kind of blew the cobwebs off a little bit so that was good then we had media day on wednesday we were kind of up and running a little bit more by wednesday that was good fun we met a star in the making in Luke Trainer. Look out for him. Uh, he fought on the main card. Uh, I'll talk about him in a second. But he is absolutely a media dream. Uh, someone who talks really well. Great backstory. And the lad can fight. Talk about him in a second. Then we had Wayne Day. I was flying solo for Wayne Day. Abby was uh, basically having to take days of uh, leave from his day job in order to do some of this stuff. So I did the weigh-ins. Easy peasy, but it all came down to fight night. We had the pre-fight Nando's. It was like old time, Sandy. We had the pre-fight Nando's. Had to be done. Then we got in there for fight night. It's a familiar feeling. We're in the same space that you and I have sat many a time at the at the uh, the Wembley Arena. Press room literally right behind us. And uh, yeah, had an absolutely outstanding time. The event delivered. The atmosphere, no exaggerated. It felt like a reunion um, with the crowd. It was one of the best atmospheres I've experienced in a British arena for a long, long time. I said on the night, the best I've had, uh, the best I've experienced since Anderson Silva versus Michael Bisbing. But of course, Michael Bisbing, Dan Henderson was pretty tasty as well. So I'd put it below those, but it was, it was a great, great atmosphere, great event. And uh, MVP got his win just about. Yeah, just about. I mean, it could have gone either way. Ultimately, MVPs, you know, got the the nod from the judges' scorecards via split decision. And look, I mean, immediately after the fight, Simon, and I, and I, I just about tuned in for the main event because I had other bits and pieces I was uh, taking care of. But for me, 
if I'm Bellator, I want to try and get a belt on MVP shoulders if possible, right? So for me, if I'm Bellator, I'll put him in that title fight because he is so marketable. He can do so much. I mean, you talk about, I mean, what a walkout, you know, you've got Skepta there, an incredible walkout. And the guy is just oozing charisma. And why wouldn't Bellator want to have someone like that carry their belt, the Bellator championship around for interviews and what have you. So for me, I think he should fight for the title next. But I love the fact that he's come out and said, hey, listen, it's, you know, a bit controversial. I don't like leaving fights like that. He wants to go for the finish. Let's run the trilogy. Let's do it next. Let's do MVP versus Douglas Lima 3. So I commend him for that. I thought, you know what? He should fight for the title next. And then in the back pocket, you've got that trilogy fight with Lima. That that trilogy fight will always be there. So what was the sense that you got from MVP in that post-fight media scrum? And what did you think of his performance and the result? And, and what's next for MVP, do you think, Simon? I don't... Well, he, he said the belts don't matter to him. Being a Bellator world champion, while that might be the end-all be-all for everybody else on the Bellator roster, it isn't for him. He just wants to have good fights. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what he does next because I'm not sure about his contract situation. That might even have been his final fight on his Bellator deal. So um, if you win a belt in Bellator, maybe that ties you up a bit more. Who knows? I don't know, but... Uh, asking for the Douglas Lima rematch over five rounds, um, I certainly don't hate the idea. I think it would be, it would be a great fight. There's a lot of respect between the pair. Like having dealt with, having dealt with them over the course of the last week, there was no bad blood or animosity or anything like that. They got on really well, and it was it was a great, good natured build up to the event. And when the fight happened, it was just tension from start to finish. There was a moment early in the fight where. He very nearly got caught with exactly the same punch that, that knocked him out back at Bellator 221. It just like whisker flew past his face. Um, but yeah, it was it was a tight fight. I'll be honest with you, I scored it 29-28 for MVP. But it was interesting, maybe being in the arena and being sat a little bit back from the cage, maybe my view wasn't the best. Um, it's interesting going on social media afterwards. A lot of people who were watching the fight who were stateside in particular seemed to be of the view that Douglas Lima won the fight. Uh, ben Cartledge, um, who is a judge I know very well, was was the judge who scored the fight on the night for Douglas Lima. And uh, I'm not someone to uh, to pick holes in people's judging. Certainly not someone like Ben, who I respect massively. He tends not to get it wrong very often. So if he saw it for Douglas Lima and the other two saw it for MVP, that tells me it was a super super close fight. I thought MVP. Shay did the first two rounds, and I thought Douglas Lima took the last round. So, But by the end of it, and I was talking to Gareth A. Davis on press row, and we were saying it right from the very beginning, we really don't want to get to the end of this fight and wish that we had two more rounds. Because it it felt like it needed five rounds, this fight. But we only got three, and that's the way Bellator do their main events. But we've come away from it now, and we might get Lima MVP3. So, uh, fingers crossed, we either get that, or we get MVP versus Yaroslav Amosov, the undefeated Ukrainian welterweight champion. But yeah, it was it was a great event. The walkout was outstanding. The uh, the atmosphere was great, and we had a fight that, from the British fans' perspective, they got the result they wanted, but it also left them wanting a little bit more. So from Bellator's point of view, that ticks pretty much all your boxes, I think. Yeah, I think so. And you know, if this is the catalyst to them finally having 
five round non-title fights. Their title fights are five rounds, which is great, right? That's standard. But you know these fight night cards and you know main events that don't have a title involved, you've got to have them fight. Here's what everyone's going to do. Everyone's going to, and I saw it in the comments, Simon. You're one step below the UFC. They're going to get compared automatically to the UFC. The UFC have five round five, uh, uh, fight night main events. In fact, the UFC have you know now set precedent by having five round fights when uh, there's a, a good case for it to be made. I.e., a Diaz brother wants it to be a five round fight. Screw it. We're go we're going to make it happen. Right. So I think it's high time to do it. Hopefully, like I said, this is a catalyst. And you know what? If they do go with the trilogy fight next, wouldn't that be appropriate to usher in a new era with that being the very first uh, non-title five round main event? And look, they run the event in London. It worked out pretty well for them. Sold a lot of tickets. They obviously know that MVP is a draw. Did he get a bit of you know home cooking there, perhaps, in terms of the, the judges' scorecards? But it was a very, very close and tight fight. I'm sure Lima would want the, the, the trilogy to take place uh, stateside. But if I'm Bellator and, and, and you know the, the MVP camp, I want that trilogy to be held in London again. And I'm sure you wouldn't hate that because, listen, at the end of the day, it was, you know, I, I don't see that many packed, I mean, talking packed arenas for Bellator shows, let alone a packed arena that's really bringing energy. And they've got a situation there with London where the UFC haven't been there in a while. No plans are going there in the near future. They're in a situation that they can hold an event at that SSC arena. And, and we've spoken about this in the past, Simon. There is literally not a bad seat in that arena. It doesn't matter if you've got nosebleeds. It's actually great. Like the, There is no bad view in that arena, for, especially for combat sports. So if they do want to run the, the trilogy fight next, Let's turn it around as soon as possible, maybe before the year is up, maybe early next year. Uh, but that's the move I do if the, the trilogy fight is going to take place next is make it five rounds and you go back to London. That's my opinion. Yeah. And the five round thing is a big thing. I mean, I know um, our friend Niall McGrath's Talking Brawls uh, podcast. He had Peter Queeley on this week and Peter Queeley's due to face Patricky Pitbull in the co-main event at Bellator 270 in Dublin. And Queeley said that he has requested that that fight be turned from a three-rounder to a five-rounder. He said fights like this should be five-round fights because we've already had one great fight. We're going to have another great fight. Why restrict it to three? Let's do five. Give the fans more bang for their buck. Have a better fight from the end of it. And the winner gets a title shot. So I don't know whether they'll go for this. It's not something they've done in the past. It would be a logistical operational change for them. Um, and I know they've probably got arena curfews and all that they've got to you know they have to make sure they, they they hit which every event does and they like to stack their undercards bellator so yeah i don't know whether that's actually going to be possible but for the lima mvp fight yeah do it do it do a five round even if you have to put an interim belt on it which i know isn't bellator style but they have done it recently the interim uh interim heavyweight title they've done so why not do an interim welterweight title even if that's the vehicle to put an extra two rounds on and then let's have a five-round fight, MVP versus Lima 3. Um, it wasn't a bad fight. I know some people didn't like it because it was it was kind of a game of cat and mouse, a bit of a game of chess. But honestly, in the arena watching it, people could not take their eyes off it because you knew that if you if you leant over to pick up your, your drink or if I looked down from my keyboard without actually uh, watching the fight... The only reason I could do that event was because I, I was able to touch type without looking at the looking at the screen. If I had to watch the screen while doing it, I'd have missed everything that was going on because it was individual little flashes all the way through. So, but yeah, it was it was a great event. Leah McCourt getting a win in the co-main event, big win for her. And Luke Trainer, who I mentioned, I just want to shout him out. He's an incredible uh, personality. 
light heavyweight, beat Yannick Bahati in a real slugfest of a light heavyweight match. It was a great fun fight. But he, um, his family fosters kids and has that. He still lives with his parents. His dad was in his corner. And uh, he wants to take the money that he earns from fighting and use that to build uh, homes for vulnerable children and uh, orphans and stuff, which is a, an incredible bit of altruism from someone who goes in and looks to take someone's head off every time he fights. He's unbeaten. I think he's 5-0 and now. And uh, he's got bags of personality. Check out the MMA Junkie YouTube channel for all of the interviews that I did and Abby shot over the course of the last week. And uh, you'll certainly get a good flavor of that. But yeah, being in London, Sandy, was just, it was awesome. Uh, I can't wait for the next one. I don't know when it'll be. I'd love to think it'd be Dublin, but we're not too sure on that yet. But uh, yeah, just getting out there and covering events again, you know, that's that's what we love doing the most. And we haven't been able to do that for a couple of years. So it was it was absolutely phenomenal to be able to get back out there and do it again. Yeah, I'm the, of the same opinion, Simon. It's like, I think the pandemic has taught myself and maybe most of us, you included, is like, you know, you can't take these opportunities for granted. Obviously, super happy when they come around, but I, I no longer think about X number of, of opportunities in this business long-term. I just think about what's my next opportunity. Uh, is it to work uh, a social media shift for, for BT Sport covering a UFC event from home? Fantastic. I love it. I get paid to do that. I mean, you know, I, I need to pinch myself. That's a dream come true. If I'm able to go to events, fantastic. I'll, I'll happily take that too. But, um, you know, seeing how, you know, the economy globally people not being able to get work and let alone in our media landscape it's very very tough so yeah super happy for you chuffed for everybody else in the media the uk crew fantastic bunch of people who never you know sleep on anything they're always churning around content 24 7 competing with all the the big north american journalists and members of the media and sites and for them to finally get to go to an event, and for some of them, it's been a long time as well, close to two years. So, yeah, really happy for everybody involved there. And good for Bellator to go through with that London show. And, and I think, like I said before, I think while the opportunity is there, while the UFC is not going to the UK and Ireland regularly, I think they should double down on that situation and actually bring more events in the upcoming schedule. Yeah, totally agree with you. And from speaking to David Green, I think he's keen to uh, to get a lot more events up and running in 2022. I think 2021 is kind of in the books for them. They've got dub they've got Moscow coming up in a week or so. They've got uh Dublin coming up at the start of November, but that's the European schedule done for 2021. 2022 all bets are off, you know. We'll see what happens. Hopefully countries will stay open. We get through the winter. Don't know how winter's going to go right now, do we? So fingers crossed that all goes okay and uh we we're, we're able to get ourselves out to some some more arenas. Just before uh, before we move on from the sort of London thing, it was a bit of a shame in some respects, but Cage Warriors had a trilogy on same weekend in London. Uh, unfortunately, because I was on Bellator duty for MMA Junkie and BBC, I wasn't able to get along, which would have been great. But they held events back-to-back three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, crowned three champions in the process. On Thursday night, Dominic Woodin beat Nathan Fletcher by a third-round knockout. He is the new Cage Warriors bantamweight champion. Watch that fight on UFC Fight Pass. Brilliant come from behind uh, victory for Dominic Wooden. Great knockout. Great event. Then we had Friday night. Paul Hughes defeated Morgan Charrier, the French star who he's right there in terms of if he wins a world title on European level, uh, you know, with someone like Cage Warriors, he'll be in the UFC because he's a star in the making. Hughes beats him by majority decision in an absolute barnstormer of a fight 
You got fight pass? Watch that fight as well. That was an absolute banger of a fight. That sort of interim Cage Warriors featherweight title. Hughes will now go on and take on Jordan uh, Vucenic, who is the featherweight champ who beat Hughes earlier in the year. So that'll be a great fight further down the line. And on the Saturday night, Sam Creasy defeats Luke Shanks by guillotine choke in the third round. Creasy is now the Cage Warriors flyweight champ. Great for him. That was his third crack at the 125-pound belt with Cage Warriors. He'd lost both his previous attempts. This time, he gets it done, beats a former champion, and now he is the top of the 125-pound division in Cage Warriors. Great weekend for London MMA. If you're in the UK and you want to get to fights, this past weekend was the one to do. I mean, you could have crammed in. If you, if you really worked it out, you could have done Cage Warriors Thursday, Bellator Friday, Cage Warriors Saturday, and uh, got a whole load of fights in. So, yeah, big weekend in London, and uh, everybody delivered. You know, Cage Warriors did the business. Bellator put on a great show. Everyone was a winner this past weekend. Awesome. Well, that was Bellator wrapped up in the books. But Simon, not just Bellator, not just Cage Warriors. The UFC had uh, another event on and the train just keeps on rolling there, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, UFC Vegas 38, I think, was the hashtag for this one. And it was a it was a real, I almost call it a crossroads fight because we had Thiago Mejeta Santos versus Johnny Walker. And Johnny Walker's the, the, the guy, tip for stardom, spectacular, unpredictable, uh, dislocates his shoulder doing the worm when he wins fights. Absolute madman. Used to train in Southampton in England, actually, for a while. Uh, then you got Thiago, the only man in uh, in UFC history to actually win a fight against John Jones in the eyes of a judge because he got a split decision in when, when he lost to, uh, to John Jones. But one of the judges actually gave him the fight. Uh, I was at that fight. It was a close fight. He completely destroyed his knee in that fight. And he's been kind of recovering ever since. And he hasn't been fighting 100% fit. He went on a three-fight skid, uh, Jones being the first one. He then got subbed by Glover Teixeira. He then lost the decision to Alexander Rakic. So he's on a three-fight skid going into the weekend against Johnny Walker. And uh, he gets the job done over the five-round duration. Close fight. Close fight, but he edged it 48-47 on all the, all the scorecards. And Thiago Santos, given the fact that his previous most recent win prior to that skid, was against the man who's holding the belt, and he won by stoppage against Jan Blachowicz. So it might not take too many more wins, maybe just one more for Maheta to finally get himself back in there and have a crack at the gold again. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, like we've spoken about this in the past, Simon. Light heavyweight is one of those divisions where it doesn't take much for you to build some momentum and, and potentially fight for the title. In many cases, you win a couple of fights, say the right thing on the microphone, and if you're a fresh opponent for the champion, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, not the most eventful main event. It was uh, a little bit lackluster, if I'm being honest. Didn't really deliver to what I, I think many had expected uh, to see out of those two fellas. But I think the main thing for Maheta there, Simon, was the fact that, like you said, he snapped a three-fight skid. He's back in the win column. That's the most important thing. Interesting that he kind of mentioned in his post-fight interview that you know he's looking to get a new contract or get more or more pay. And apparently he's still got three fights on his contract. So I'm not really sure where, where the truth lies there. And look, for Johnny Walker, I think it was an improvement. Obviously, he didn't get the win. He didn't get the result that he wanted. But it felt like he was more measured. Um, he obviously had John Kavanagh and the SBG guys there in his corner. So if he can, you know, again, he's fighting a, a former tar challenger. So he's not exactly fighting a scrub. Uh, I think there's still potential there in Johnny Walker. Uh, but I feel like perhaps the level of competition 
needs to be a little bit lower just so that he can flex some of the new skills um, that he's been able to obtain whilst working with the guys at SBG, especially when it comes to uh, strategy and game plan. But it seems like he's in the right path there. Yeah, and he's still pretty young in the game. You know, he's still working his way up and he has bounced around his training camps a little bit over the years. And hopefully he's settled, he's settled down nicely with the SBG guys. And if they're taking some of those wild edges off his game a little bit, but he's still got that that spectacular stuff in his back pocket. If he fights a little more orthodox at times and then just explodes with stuff every now and again, that could be really potent for him. So his career is certainly far from over and he's still got, you know, the, the bulk of his career at the top level still ahead of him. He's ranked 10th right now. Um, looking at Thiago Santos, he's fifth and he's not going to get a shot at the belt straight away, but Anthony Smith is ahead of him. There's the potential for a rematch with Rakic. Yuri Prohaska might be an interesting matchup for him as well. So there's all sorts of different options for Thiago Santos. 205 is looking pretty busy. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how, how that division shakes out because we've got Magomed Ankalaev is in, in action uh, in a week or so as well. So that is going to be well worth watching to see how that 205 pound division shapes up and who will be the next man to uh, to hold championship gold in that division, if anyone can indeed dethrone the big man, Jan Blachowicz. But um, Sandu, I wanted to talk to you about this co-main event because mm. normally you come away from one of these events and it's either an incredible fight we see or a stunning knockout or just the main event result that tends to be the headline uh, that you end up talking about over the uh, the uh, the water cooler, if you like, the following day. But it, this this one was a bit different. Kevin Holland took on Kyle Dorcas uh, in a middleweight bout in the co-main event. Just looking at the record, it just says no contest, accidental clash of heads, midway through round one. Right? That does not tell the story of how that all panned out. And Kevin Holland himself admitted that really he lost that fight. Talk us through how you saw this. Were you on social duty for this fight, Sandy? I was actually off, Simon. Um, again, more so in, because of what's coming up for me on my schedule yeah. this upcoming week, which we'll get to in a little while. But yeah, I wasn't on duty. I just about tuned in for the last couple of fights of that um, main card. So I was able to see this one. And essentially what's happened here is there's a, an accidental clash of heads. And Dan Mergliotta essentially is about to step in uh, but he kind of doesn't really. He, he he like he thinks about it, but he doesn't. And then he eventually lets the fight play out. And what eventually ends up happening is is through the scramble and and as the fight the fight progresses, Kyle Dorcas ends up uh, in a in a rear naked choke position on Kevin Holland. Um, Kevin submits, and then all hell breaks loose. And then you see, you know. Dan talking to Herb Dean. Bizarrely, you see Sean Shelby and some UFC officials also having a conversation with the referees who are there supposed to be as an independent body, as an independent commission. So I thought that was super, super weird. In any yeah. case, they have that conversation and then ultimately decide to rule this a, a no contest, which in my opinion, and this has divided everyone, by the way, especially on social media. But for me, Simon, and I'd love to get your take on this, but for me, I feel like Dorcas got robbed here because I feel like what should have happened was is as soon as that, that clash of heads uh, takes place, the referee should step in, perhaps pause the action, check in on both fighters, check in um, on Kevin Holland, make sure he's able to continue. If he's not able to, 
and the doctor comes in or you know he's he's given him what five minutes or what a minute or how much time he's allowed to you know gather his his you know his senses if at that stage he's not able to continue i think that's the appropriate time to call the fight off and then rule it a no contest but the fact that he actually allowed it to play out now what would have happened if kevin holland had beaten dorcas what happens in that situation you know what i mean the fact that dorcas gets the win um you know or at least doesn't get the win but finishes him in the fight i feel like that should have been uh, a, a w uh, in his uh, on his resume so i'm absolutely gutted for him but that's my opinion that's my opinion simon i feel like he's got robbed there of a result and half his uh, paycheck as well what do you think yeah i mean if anybody who watches soccer watches football is well aware of the advantage rule right it was almost like dan mergliotta was playing advantage in in it, it it's like okay i've seen something Let's just see how this plays out and may, maybe I'll pull it back. But you can't do that in MMA, really, can you? I mean, once the clash of heads has happened, you have to make a pretty quick decision. I mean, I'm, I'm not a ref, right? But this is this is how I see it. Once you see a clash of heads like that, you, you have to make two judgments. One, was it accidental or was it deliberate? That's the first thing you have to decide. And then you also have to look at the how that clash has affected the two fighters. I watched a fight at the weekend. Well, there, there were multiple head clashes during the same fight. Uh, and they were both kind of okay. But at some point, I think it was Mike Beltran, the ref, stopped, stepped in, stopped the fight, said, you okay? Are you okay? Watch the heads. Let's carry on. And then that was it. But in this one, it was it was, it was was weird. It's like he didn't see how, how much it had affected Kevin Holland. Um, and then obviously, once you let the fight go, once it happens and you, you then roll it on, you can't then roll it back again. I don't think. I think at that point, you've got to go with the result as it as it's played out in the cage. And the result as it was played out in the cage was that Carl Dorcas won that fight by submission. So um, it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. I think I think if you look at the incident and the fact that there was the head clash, it affected Kevin Holland to the point that he ended up losing. There is a strong argument to say that fight should have been stopped and rendered a no contest. The fact is, it wasn't stopped, was it? It was. It wasn't until after the fight had carried on to a conclusion, um, and that's where it gets a little bit murky. And that's where it, you know you've got that grey area. It's really tricky. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I think that Carl Dorcas should have been given the win, and it would just go down as a bad decision to have let the fight carry on which doesn't sound very satisfactory, does it? But once you've made the decision to let the fight carry on, I don't really think, you know, that train's left the station then. I don't think you then pull it back. Um, if you don't stop the fight yourself and then the fight finishes, you've got to go with the finish. That's my opinion. But that, that, that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, hopefully these lads can run it back. I think yeah. that makes the most sense. And hopefully Dan and other referees watching maybe can take some lessons away from the situation. Obviously, you know, this is the only time you actually get reps at a high level. And, um, you know, outside of perhaps situations on, on the regional circuit, you know, but at the same time, guys like Dan Mergley are so experienced. So it was interesting to see him um, react and, and take the, the the course of action that he ultimately took that night. Yeah, I think he was probably just, I think he thought that Kevin Holland was in, in, in better nick than obviously he was. And, unfortunately you know you can't undo that so um one of those things it's unfortunate gutted for Carl Dorcas as you say taking a look at his record his last three fights are loss to Brendan Allen 
got a win against Dustin Stoltfus, lost to Phil Hawes, and then they gave him Kevin Holland. So his form wasn't the best, and they've actually given him a high-level opponent in Kevin Holland, and he actually finishes him and doesn't get the benefit of that. I don't know whether he got a win bonus from the UFC anyway. Um, it, it was it was a difficult one, and Kevin Holland, after the fight, turned around and said, that that fight should have gone to Kyle Dawkins. He knocked me out once, and then he choked me out, so he beat me twice. So that's, that's, that's kind of how he put it, and... Uh, all credit to Kevin Holland, who's got a great attitude. And then, I don't know if you saw social media today, a few hours before we started the show, Kevin Holland um, did a John Jones, basically, uh, from John Jones earlier in his career, that famous story about him apprehending a thief. Kevin Holland apprehends a car thief. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, just hours ago, he was uh, he was he was getting choked out by, by Carl Dorcas, having already had his head scrambled. Day and a half later... He's out there uh, playing crime fighting superhero on the street. So, uh, yeah, all credit to him. And uh, I love watching that man fight. So hopefully we see him back in there. And for Carl Dorcas' sake, um, I hope he gets another chance, whether it's against Holland or not. Um, hopefully we see him back in there and he can earn himself earn himself another win and another win bonus very, very soon. His brother, by the way, has got himself a huge fight. Uh, Chris Dorcas making his way out the heavyweight division, taking on Derek Lewis in a main event not too far from now. So, um, yeah, good, good for the Dorcas family. And uh, fingers crossed, Carl will get another opportunity very soon. But Sandy, that was, you know, it was a, wasn't the biggest fight card. I mean, Nico Price got a good win. Christoph Jocko beat Misha Serkinov at middleweight. Good knockout from Alexander Hernandez. Uh, some decent stuff in the prelims. But um, really, all this is kind of leading up to a big, big event coming up this weekend. And, um, you know, you've teased it a little bit during uh, during the early part of the show. You're getting involved as well, which I'm I'm dead chuffed for you. Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, the trilogy fight is on. And uh, one half of the Brit pack is going to be there. That is correct. By the time people are listening to this podcast, I will be on a plane heading to the fight capital of the world. Going to be heading down to Las Vegas to help the BT Sport social and digital team cover and promote one of the biggest fights of the year. And I think just from the fallout of Joshua and Usyk, obviously Joshua not being able to you know do the business at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, all eyes now, especially from a British perspective, are back on Tyson Fury and winning this fight, giving the British public what they want, which is one of their own doing doing the big stuff on the, on the biggest nights, on the biggest stage. I'm absolutely excited. I'm a little bit nervous and also anxious, very similar to kind of how you felt last week because I haven't been at an event now in two years, haven't traveled outside of Canada in two, uh, well, in over a year and a half now. And I'm going to actually meet my colleagues at BT Sport <laughs> for the very first time, you know, face-to-face. No more Zoom and Slack and WhatsApp and what have you. So that'll be fun. And yeah, I'm just excited about helping do my, you know, play a small part of a of an incredible team. And yeah, looking forward to being there on fight night. Just being just being there all week, you know, during all the festivities. This is my first big boxing event as well. Like, obviously, I haven't really covered too many big boxing events. The only two boxing events, period, that I've covered is uh, Michael Vernon Page's boxing debut at York Hall and uh, Mayweather versus McGregor, which is pretty big. 
Um, but in terms of I a was pure... about to correct you, I'm like that. Yeah, if I remember, that was kind of a big deal that fight. Yeah, that was a kind of a big deal. But in terms of like pure boxing, in terms of the, the absolute best that boxing can give you, this is up there. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited. I'm chuffed. And this is the biggest event in combat sports this weekend. There's a UFC card happening on a Saturday. I'm sure there's some other events happening in, in other parts of combat sports. But all eyes will be on Fury Wilder 3 come Saturday night. And God bless the UFC. And I think they even promotionally and broadcast partner uh, contractually wise had to schedule their event earlier. But I think it's happy days for everyone. If you love your MMA, you love your boxing, you have a nice and early UFC card. And that is going to be your your prelude into what is going to be an outstanding event, um, which will be airing on BT Sport Box Office for everybody in the UK and Ireland. So, yeah, I'm excited, Simon. Can't wait. It's going to be a prelude to a, a long line. Actually, who am I kidding? With my kids, I'm not lying in. It's going to be a prelude <laughs> to a very, very tired Simon Head on Sunday. That's what it's going to be. Because I'll be up for the UFC. And then I'm a sucker for pay-per-view boxing. I'll, I'll, I'll slap the money down at the 11th hour and just stay up and watch it all glued eye, eye eyelids glued open um my parents bought me a job lot of coffee for my birthday a few weeks ago so i will drink most of that and uh and watch it that might not be your only uh only trip stateside this year from what from what you were talking to me about earlier yeah let's see let's see i mean you know fingers crossed if things go well i'm i am super we spoke about this you know off air but i may as well just talk about it you know on the show i'm super anxious and i've got a lot of anxiety just about going through the covid protocols i am double vaccinated i've got my pre-flight test uh done negative on that which is great which allows me to fly into vegas gotta take a a pre-flight test on saturday to allow me to fly back into canada and God forbid, if anything happens and I test positive, I have to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks uh, in Toronto, which is not going to be nice. So that's the part I am giving me the most stress. I'm going to be vigilant yeah. while I'm on site all week, you know, um, using hand sanitizer, keeping social distancing in place and wearing a mask, you know, all the usual. Um, but yeah, that's the probably the part that's making me the most anxious. Fingers crossed, though, if things go well and I get back into Toronto, all, ha- you know, you know, fine and dandy when it comes uh, to my return flight next Sunday then let's see man the next couple of months are looking pretty juicy Simon we're talking UFC pay-per-views we're talking WWE pay-per-views it, it could be a, a good end of the year uh, in terms of uh, the air miles I'll be clocking up <laughs> that, <laughs> that would way. be that would be great to see and I'm sure you'll absolutely love it um, over there in Vegas it'd be great to be back in Vegas again I can't wait to get back over there at some point whenever that will be but like I said to you before uh, before we came on air I've got to go through a visa application process before I can do that. And it sounds like they're all backed up. So um, maybe once I've done this show and uh, get through get through tonight, maybe I'll get an application in in the morning. But uh, yeah, dead chuff for you, mate. And it's going to be it's going to be a big, big, big week with uh, Fury and uh, John Wilder. What I did want to ask you, obviously asking you for predictions when you're about to work on the event might be a little bit iffy. What's the best the best um, result in terms of if we want to get Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Finally, I've got I've got slightly a slightly weird weird uh, theory that maybe the best thing is for Fury to get beat because Usyk will end up fighting the winner. You would imagine so. Uh, maybe we end up with the you know two Brits facing off, but with no belts, which would be insane. Thinking where we were six months ago. Well, here's the thing: Wilder loses. I'm sorry, if uh, Fury loses, and that's how you make the trilogy fight, it's lost steam. Regardless, it's lost steam. It's lost its edge. There was a a finite time to get this fight done, and it didn't happen. And Joshua's lost. 
and he's now activated his rematch clause, clause with Usyk, right? And I'm not going to be favoring favoring him to win that fight. I think Usyk is the absolute real deal. And uh, I just think it's going to be one of those situations where the, the moment's passed. I think Fury gets it done against Wilder, waits to see what happens against uh, between Joshua and Usyk. If Usyk is the victor, then you do Fury versus Usyk to finally unify the in- entire heavyweight division um, and have an undisputed heavyweight champion. And then from there, we'll see what happens, whether it's an Andy Ruiz or a Joshua or or whoever, um, whether it's a, an Usyk rematch, things of that nature. But yeah, for me, the the edge has been lost. Uh, it, it would still do big business, don't get me wrong, right? Especially if it was held in, in the UK at Wembley Stadium. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's all that momentum that they had is gone for me. Yeah, yeah, it is a weird one. I mean, I'm excited for this fight. I'm excited for the trilogy fight because, you know, they're... they're uh... There's a lot. There's a lot of history between the pair. You know, the fights between between them both have both been spectacular and brilliant to watch. So I have no doubt that this is going to be an absolute banger of a fight. But the fight that we we all wanted to see looks almost dead in the water. I mean, like we're we're kind of clinging on by the fingernails now, thinking that whether this is actually ever going to happen again. So because as you say Usyk looks looks like the nuts, doesn't he? He looks great and. Um, you know, I think we talked about it previously. I thought Joshua got his tactics all completely wrong. Tried to outbox a guy who was a better boxer than him, uh, and never changed his tactic during the fight. That was a weird thing. He should have just gone in there, changed his tactic, roughed him up, and uh, made him feel the power, but didn't do it. And uh, now he's lost all his belts. Tyson Fury could end up on top of the world, taking on Usyk. Fury of Usyk, from a technical standpoint, would be outstanding. So let's see how this goes. If Deontay Wilder goes and blows everything up and wins, that would be. Uh, That'd be quite the story as well. So that'll be on BT Sport box office this weekend. As you say, there's a UFC card before it. Um, Not the most star-studded card, but some interesting stuff going on regardless. Main event, Mackenzie Dern versus Marina Rodriguez-Sandu. Two women's strawweights from Brazil, both of them with a strong upward upward trajectory. I'll put my teeth in. But who are you favoring here? Rodriguez looks like the better, well-rounded overall fighter. But Mackenzie Dern, her submissions are as good as it gets in the UFC for a female fighter. And her striking has come on a bundle under Jason Perillo. So um, she looked like the real deal the last time we saw her when she was in there against Nina Nunes. Uh, outstruck Nina and then submitted her with an armbar. She looks, she looks probably one, maybe two wins away from potentially challenging for the title. But... Can she get past Marina this weekend? What do you reckon? I think she's just one fight away, and I think that fight's this weekend, Simon, before she fights for the title. I finally feel like Mackenzie Dern has put it together. She's figured it out. No more weight issues. She's making weight. She's won four in a row, three finishes out of those last four fights, and those three finishes earned her performance of the night. So she's got three performance of the night bonuses from her last four fights. And when you're looking at the the rankings um, as they currently stand, you've got Mackenzie Dern, who's joint fourth with Yan Zhaonan, and she's going to be taking on M- Marina Rodriguez, who is number six right now. So I would imagine if Mackenzie Dern wins, she'll probably jump up a couple of places, maybe be third, maybe number two. We'll see. But I feel like she's, you know, on the right path. Everyone's been eager to see if she can step up and, you know, get get it done. This is a main event slot for her, which is huge. Um, Marina Rodriguez is also in, in fantastic form. But for me, Simon, I feel like 
this is Mackenzie Dern's time. I feel like she's, again, like I said, she's figured it out, making weight. She looks good. She's getting finishes. She's looking so lethal at straw weight. And um, yeah, I feel like we're looking at a future title challenger if, if she can win this weekend. Yeah, it's fascinating. And you take a look at the, the body of work for each fighter and Marina Rodriguez has the higher level uh, opposition on her resume. You know, you just look at her, her last four, five fights. Michelle Waterson, she won. Amanda Hebes, she won. She lost a split to Carla Esparza. That was pretty controversial, if I remember rightly. She got a majority draw with Cynthia Calvillo, and she beat Tisha Torres on the scorecards. And not many people have been able to do that over the course of their career. So it's it's a really strong slate of, uh, of big names on her record, whereas Mackenzie Dern, not a stronger body of work in terms of the, uh, the level of opposition. The only one that really leaps out she also fought Amanda Hibas, but she lost. But that was back in 2019. Now she seems like a completely different animal. Uh, becoming a mum really seems to have uh, seen her just find completely new heights as a fighter. I don't know what it is, but she went away. She became a mum. She came back and she's completely transformed and is now looking like the real deal at 115 pounds. And as you say, making the weight does not seem to be a problem for her anymore. So I'm really excited for this fight. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a big, big fight for the division. You look at the rankings, Joanny and Jacek still ranked two, and we haven't seen her in a long time. Carla Esparza is, is still knocking around there at three. Uh, Yan Zhao, now you, uh, you mentioned, and obviously Zhang Weili uh, up at the top, looking to challenge Rose Namajunas again. But yeah, it's a big fight for the division. Uh, also on that card, Sandu, We've got Randy Brown versus Jared Gooden is the co-main at welterweight. Tim Elliott, who seems to be uh, evergreen, he just goes on forever against Matthias Nicolau at flyweight. Sabina Marza versus Maria Agapova. And Phil Hawes versus Darren Wynn will kick off the uh, the main card. What When it comes to your movements, are we going to get a, a Brit pack from Toronto next week? Or will you still be, uh, will you still be in the U.S.? Uh, back on Sunday, so we record on Mondays, don't we? So yeah. yeah, it should be business as usual next week. Awesome, awesome, and uh, you can you can regale us with uh, with stories of how things are in the fight capital of the world and uh, post COVID and uh, how crazy a Tyson Fury fight week is. I think Sandu, that might that might be pretty much all we have. Uh, you'd think so, Simon, but I think there's a pretty big lightweight title fight that got reported on. So Charles Oliveira. Taking on Dustin Poirier, defending his UFC lightweight championship, UFC 269, as reported by ESPN's Brett Okamoto. And looking at Sugar Sean O'Malley's post from the other day, where it looks like he's going to be competing on that card, it looks like we have a location. According to him, it'll be in Las Vegas. Nothing officially dropped by the UFC on social media or, or, or anything like that. So let's... Let's see how this all plays out, but it would make sense if that pay-per-view was to be held in, in Las Vegas. I mean, it's basically going to be Vegas or Arizona or Texas or Florida. You know, it's the usual. Uh, let's see also if Nate Diaz ends up on that card. I know he wants to get that Vicente Luque fight, but that would be fantastic if he can uh, be a part of that particular pay-per-view. That should help shift some, some pay-per-view buys. But yeah, it's the fight we've been looking forward to ever since Charles Oliveira won the title and ever since Poirier beat McGregor for a second time. And I have to say, Simon, if Poirier ends this year as the UFC lightweight champion, you know, he came so close. You know, he had that fight with Khabib. Uh, it didn't happen for him. 
and it was absolute heartbreak. He wore his emotion on his on his on his sleeve there, and the journey that he's been on to build himself back up. I mean, it's going to be either him or Kamaru Usman. If Kamaru Usman gets over uh, Colby Covington and defend his title again, it's going to be either Usman or Poirier as your as your fighter of the year for 2021. But we'll see what the lay of the land is uh, by the end of December. But right now, Simon, we have a fantastic lightweight championship fight to look forward to uh, as we end this year for the UFC. Yeah, and it's all worked out pretty well, just as Dustin Poirier would have liked it. I remember on this very show saying to you, I don't know whether him taking the Conor McGregor fight was such a great idea because he has always wanted to be the undisputed champion, but he went with the McGregor fight. He went with the money fight and took the risk and that risk paid off because he won and he still gets the fight that he was offered originally, which was the Oliveira fight. So it's all worked out perfectly for him. All that remains now is for Dustin Poirier to get in the cage and beat Charles Oliveira. If he can do that and he's more than capable of doing that, then he has capped off the most absolutely incredible year. It really is. And for a guy with uh, with his backstory as well, for someone who's gone all the way up from the WEC, for someone who gives so much back to his community as well, it would be an incredible end to a, to a huge year for Dustin Poirier. As for Charles Oliveira, if he beats Dustin Poirier, there can be no more doubters, as if there are any out there anyway. But he still doesn't, it, to me, it feels like he still doesn't get the respect he deserves. He beats Dustin Poirier. He cements himself as the premier 155-pounder in the UFC. So um, that's a huge, huge fight. And I'm so glad that we're going to end the year with a big, big lightweight fight because that then just sets the table perfectly for the start of 2022. And I, I cannot wait to see how that one pans out. Yeah, me either. Um, it's going to be a tasty one. I think it's one of the most unpredictable fights of the year, to be honest with you, just given the the momentum Poirier is carrying into it, the run of form that Charles Oliveira is on right now, stylistically is fantastic. It's going to be great. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, absolutely. And that, after that piece of news, I think is the end of this week's show. Uh, lots to cram in, but I think we've got it all in there. Big week coming up for Mr. Sandu. He's going to be getting on a plane in less than 24 hours from now. But by the time we get around to next week, uh, he will be back in Toronto and hopefully not having to having, uh, having to go through a quarantine beforehand. And uh, we'll run you through everything that we uh, we witness, whether it be the UFC or that big fight, of course. Fury Wilder 3. Sandu, how can everyone get involved? We are thebritpackmma.com. That's the website, thebritpackmma.com. The best thing you could do is go to the website and from there you can find our social handles, both the show, mine, Simon's. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on the Apple Podcast platform, honestly, if you just take out 30 seconds of your time, rate and review us if you haven't done so already. That really helps us. It helps the show. That's how the Apple podcast algorithm works. That's how shows get found by new listeners. So if you want to support the show and you are listening to us on the Apple podcast platform, rate and review us. And that would go a long way. And we appreciate that very, very much. Big week in combat sport. We've just had a big weekend for fight sports in London. It is a big weekend in Las Vegas for the heavyweight championship of the world, the WBC heavyweight championship of the world. Will it be Deontay Wilder or will it be Tyson Fury? We will find out on Saturday night and we'll be back next week to talk about it all. Yeah.